everyone. I hope everyone is well. Um, lovely to see you all. Um, I can see some new faces and some old faces. And when I say old faces, I don't mean you look old. Um, I just mean I've known you for a while. Um, so um, welcome to everyone uh, at home as, as well. My name is Carl. I'm the Generations team leader. Uh, but before I start, let's read scripture, shall we? And I've um, asked the legend, David Brumpton, to come and read some scripture for us. So give him a round of applause, I think. Oh, thank you very much, Carl. I'm going to be reading this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and the first 12 verses. These are the commands, decrees, and Lord, laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are, are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy a long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities. You did not build houses filled with all kinds of good things. You did not provide wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Blessed be the words of the Lord. Amen. Thank you very much. Um, so, yeah, good morning. Uh, I hope everyone is well. And um, I hope you are enjoying my favorite season of autumn. Um, any autumn fans in the room? Uh, like five. Um, I, I love autumn. Um, autumn for me is um, is thick jumpers, um, cold morning walks with strong coffee. It has to be really strong coffee. And throughout lockdown, actually, I've come a bit of a coffee snob. No instant stuff. Just real coffee. Um, and cool looking trees, fire pits, and of course, American football. Any American football fans in here? Two. Um, <laughs> fantastic. Um, so I lead the generations work here, and um, this morning I want to chat about the generations 
and, and I'm not going to unveil this kind of 12-step plan for the next 25 years of church, uh, but to simply share my heart, my biblical understanding, and what I think living through this lens of the heart of the generations is uh, a life-giving, holistic um, way of Jesus, way of living. And just to note, I am still um, on this discovery. I am um, praying, reading, speaking, and there's a load of stuff out there that for me is undiscovered, which is really exciting. Um, and I could be, I could chat about this topic in church for years because the thing is, it's not a program. I'm not here to sell a program, but it's a way of living. Uh, but I will try and do it in, an, in this morning, um, which would be quite interesting. Um, I just have to say, I hate speaking from this book of the Bible, not because of the context, because I can't say it, hence why I've asked Dave to speak for it. I always get Deuteronomy. I, can't, I can never say it, and it always makes me really anxious about that. Uh, but, so when I say the key text, I mean Deuteronomy, okay? Um, so this is the key text this morning, and this is what the um, generation's work is all about. Uh, but before I go into all of that stuff, let's take stock of where we are at the minute. Um, these last couple of years have been strange, hasn't it? A little bit strange. Uh, we have seen uh, stuff like COVID, which is still going on. You know, it's still going into schools. It's just a little bit crazy at the minute. Um, we've seen people work from home. It was we, we were, it was made illegal to see our families, and we've seen um, amazing um, achievements for our, our, our British sports people and teams, um, which has been amazing. There's been panic buying of loos, uh, loo rolls, and fuel as well. And just recently, we've seen the NHS being stretched but being absolutely incredible. And um, we've seen Boris Johnson run into a fridge on live TV. Um, which was, again, quite interesting. Um, but I think from COVID to fuel to footballers getting abused online, as a nation, I think we are more polarized on politics, faith, identity, arguably than ever before. Um, and because of this, I think this is developed in a, a culture in our society of uh, a thing that I like to call radical individualism. Um, where phrases like, you do you and live your best life are the norm. And we are trained by multi-billion pound companies like Facebook and all them type of guys. We're trained by them and then companies to look out for our own interests above others. And what I see in the last couple of years, it ain't working. That type of way of life isn't working. All you need to do is look on your comments, comment section on Facebook if you're over 30. Um, but if you're under 30, Instagram, YouTube, all that type, Snapchat or whatever people are on nowadays, I don't know. Um, so all you have to do is look at that. And it, is, uh, it feels to me that us as a society, as I go through then comments or read the, the papers, read the papers, I don't read papers anymore, uh, read the news apps, um, or, you know, watch the BBC News or whatever. It just seems like we are very angry, a graceless, unteachable society. Um, I don't know if that's just the handful that I see on the media or the 
just the general fear of culture today? I'm not too sure, because you know what, in, the media portrays things differently to what sometimes it, it really is out there. But it seems like a lot of hate, you know, just a lot of hate all, all, over, um, all over the place. And this cocktail is making this culture uh, a radical individualistic um, culture, which is, I think, a, pandem a pandemic in itself, um, to be quite honest with you. Um, so if that's where we are at the minute, how do we respond? And what does scripture say? If we read from Paul and look at the ways of Jesus, I think there is a, a way out of this. And on the screen and at home, hopefully you can say this, see this. Um, in 1 Corinthians 12, um, this is where um, Paul is talking about the church as the body of Christ. It says this, so that there should be no division in the body, but there are parts that should, be, should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each of you are a part of it. I love that verse 27. Each of you are a part of it. This goes against the culture that we find ourselves in. And what this is saying, that we, should, we ought to give ourselves to each other, to surrender ourselves to someone or something beyond ourselves. I'm like, really? Can't I just come to church on a Sunday and go to life group on a Wednesday or cast YouTube to the TV, the service to the, to the TV? I don't think we can. I don't think that cuts it, like just coming to church and life group and that type of stuff. I don't think it cuts it. And please hear me when I say stuff like this, because this isn't a guilt trip here. I'm not standing here like throwing out guilt trips because I'm preaching to myself because I can see another way to live. Um, and I think that other way to live in a nutshell is Matthew 22, um, where Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders. And in a nutshell, he says that love your God and love others with everything you got. And like I said, Jesus was there speaking to the religious leaders at the time, and they were trying to trap him. And he was actually quoting from the key text from this morning. So love God, love each other with everything we got. This is God's heart, to love him and each other with authenticity, grace, sacrifice, joy, gladness. I've been at church now, I've been a Christian, for, I became a Christian when I was 15, I'm now 33, so it's been a while, I've been around church for quite a while, and I kind of know how it works and what the culture's like and all that type of stuff. And, I, and church can be, a very, and often is, a very lonely place at times. And I believe that in the West, the Western church, I'm not just talking just about Beck, I'm just thinking about the Western church as a whole, the body, the church, isn't speaking to itself. And as a result, it's hurting. So I think one of the issues with the Western church is that we see church as community, not family, even though we use the word family quite a lot. We do use that word family quite a lot, but I think sometimes in the Western church, we see it as more of a community. Um, and when we see it as a community, we invest in the center. We invest in the, the church as a center. 
But if we don't like what's happening at the center, and if we don't like what's happening at the center, we can just move somewhere else that fits our needs, our wants, and how we live. And yes, there are seasons for people to move on. And again, this isn't a, a, a jab at anyone. I'm just speaking into the culture that I see at the minute. But when we see it as family, when we see church as family, we invest in other people despite our differences, needs, and wants. That is, that is the, that's the difference there. And I want to encourage us to see church as family, not community. And we see throughout the whole of scripture, this is what church is family. Uh, we are described in um, Ephesians 5 as the bride of Christ, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ, the church, the bride of Christ, marriage. That is relational imagery. We just read 1 Corinthians, the body of Christ, where it talks about um, it talks about um, us being a, a, a body. We are knitted together. We are knitted together. We are the same flesh. And Ephesians 2, it says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with, um, with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are too being built together to become the dwelling place which God lives by his spirit. I love that. Citizens, family, household. Again, relational, relational imagery. Because I don't think we are designed to be alone and um, in our own little peer groups, um, which is what churches are designed to do. Like since I came into the church, we've had uh, children's work, crash, youth work, men's, uh, women, seniors, students, and everything in between. That, that's how it's set up. We're all in our little peer groups. And I'm thinking, are we missing a trick? And I, I generally believe so, because we, were, we weren't designed to be alone. In the creation story in Genesis 2, it says this, the Lord says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Generations 2, the creation, back in creation. And as I was preparing this, this struck me. This struck me. I was like, yeah, of course. But Adam wasn't alone. He had the Trinity, and I always thought, yeah, God, Adam must have been really, he had the Trinity. We could have, we can arguably say he had everything that he ever needed. But isn't it awesome to, to know that um, even God knows that people need other people? I think that's amazing. And this intergenerational church that I, I want to chat about t today, is, I think it is transformative. If we do this, I think it'd just be absolutely incredible. Uh, but the thing is, this intergenerational church isn't a new idea that I've kind of been thinking about for the last couple of years. I've kind of dreamt up. It's actually an ancient idea. And we see it throughout the whole of Scripture. The whole of Scripture, we see the whole generations, all the generations going through life together and doing life together. 
all generations walked through the sea out of Egypt. All generations were enslaved in Egypt. They all traveled through the wilderness sharing stories about what God did. They all went into exile. They all went to the temple. They all practiced the Sabbath. And they all ate the bread and fish and got their fill at the feeding of 5,000. They all sat and listened to the Sermon on the Mount. This has been happening for generations. And it still happens today in certain people groups throughout the world. And when generations come together and it's beautiful and it's life-giving. And I love this. In our key texts, did you hear it? Our God is a generational God. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's a generational God. And that is incredible. That, that excites me because that means that we aren't just connected to today. We aren't just connected to our peer groups, but me, Rich, everyone here is connected to Abraham's generation. And we are also connected to the generations and generations of believers in the future. We are all part of the same story. That's amazing. That's incredible. This is my story. This is your story. This is my daughter's story. Amazing. And we saw um, the, the kids go out, and uh, we've got new babies here. And just seeing, like, over the pandemic, it was just, like, babies everywhere. Um, that's their story. It's awesome. It's so good. Okay. I hope that I've shown you that investing in the generations and investing in this type of way of seeing things is a biblical thing, okay? And now, what about the heart? Like I said, I believe that being in our peer groups that we're missing out, and as a, as a result, the body is suffering. Um, I have, I've had so many conversations um, b before COVID, but um, after, well, during the lockdown and the pandemic, I've had a lot of conversations about loads of different things. Um, I've had conversations about menopause um, and how women are just really struggling. Um, I've had conversations about parents who, whose houses are now empty and they have no idea what their role is as parents. Um, I've had conversations with people who are struggling to get pregnant. Uh, people, um, I've had conversations with people who have been in the church for a long time. They don't know who their friends are. I've had conversations with people who have lost their jobs. I've had conversations with young people who didn't, don't know who Jesus is. And I can go on and on and on and on. Church, we aren't talking. We aren't talking to each other. And we are suffering for it. We have a church full, full of people who have gone through stuff. We have a church full of people who've got some amazing stories. And that's why I love speaking to Duncan Harrison a lot. He's, he's a legend. And all these people, loads, loads of people, I just love hearing stories, um, which is in, in, incredible. And we've got, um, we've got so many people with vast amounts of wisdom, young and old, and we all need it. Um, we had a youth weekend away um, a few weekends ago, and I have learned so much from the young people. It's, it's crazy. 
And I learned so much about our, uh, from our older generation. I was in the first Monday club um, since the pandemic. I just sat and just listened to Steve Hall preach, and it was just incredible. Learned so much from it. And if we don't talk, I think the church is in trouble because the church is always one generation away from extinction. Each new generation needs the good news preached to them and shown the ways of Jesus. And if we don't live through this lens of intergenerational living, the church will either be okay for a time, but then it will finally die, or we will see division. And we see that in the the sad story in um, 1 Kings 12. Um, 1 Kings 12, uh, Solomon has died, and his son, Rehoboam, ascends to power. Israel goes to him and pleads, which I think is a good, this is a good request. They plead to him to have respite and to lighten the load uh, because the load is too heavy. And Rehoboam uh, responds in two ways. First, he goes to the elders and asks for their advice. And the elders say, yeah, give them respite, lighten, lighten the workload, give them grace. And then he goes to his peers, and his peers say, no, absolutely not. We've got a suite here. Um, what I want you to do is, what we think you should do is actually make the work harder. You know, you know just go heavy on them. And as a result of that, he listens to his peers rather than the wisdom of the elders. And eventually, that leads to a divided nation, and consequently, is it's just horrific for the generations to come. There's huge consequences. Notable that division, um, that division comes when inter, intergenerational relationships break down. See, in that story in One Kings, um, the, the elders and the peers weren't relating to each other. They were just existing in the same kingdom. But we can hope. We can hope for more. See, I do believe, and hear me right here, that the the church's primary job isn't to spiritually raise people, but to equip the church to disciple one another, to love one another, and to equip you and me to grow in faith and to help our families and our people around us in the way to grow in the ways of Jesus. We can't merely do that on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday evening. Because I believe that discipleship is holistic. It is the way of, it's a way of life. Remember, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Um, I, was, I was listening to a podcast um, last week, an American football podcast, um, which they don't really talk about American football. Um, which is strange. But they were talking about this thing uh, which you guys will probably have way more understanding than I do. And if I'm wrong, I do apologize. Tell me after. But they were, they were talking about this thing called um, Dutch disease. Has anyone heard about Dutch disease? Um, again, I don't know much about it. But my basic understanding is that in the 70s, the Netherlands hit um, oil. Um, off, the, off the coast of their, 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 their country. And that's a good thing. Like oil, yes, you know, the money, you know, all that type of stuff. 
and they got really excited, which is pretty, pretty cool. Um, but this created a bit of a paradox where it harmed the country's broader economy because all of their focus went into oil. And as a result, unemployment um, rose. And the, they had to, the imports increased and non-oil products became less competitive. And the Netherlands started to suffer. So what they did, they, they said, we can't go on like this. So what they did, they looked, they looked broader and they invested into things like non-oil products such as solar and wind. And now we see, especially the Scandinavian countries, they're, they're benefiting. And um, I saw that actually, as I was thinking about this, I went to Aberdeen um, in the summer. I used to live in Aberdeen when it was absolutely booming, like, and I absolutely loved it. And I went up there and the city's just totally changed, like totally changed. Obviously, if you don't know about Aberdeen, like huge oil, uh, it just, the city just runs on oil. Um, and since the 08 crash, it has just not been the same. And I went up there in um, 2021 and it's still, it's still suffering from the 08 crash. In short, the Netherlands started to focus on one area and started to neglect other areas. And the same with us, we can't expect us to grow and our children, natural or spiritual children, in relationship with Jesus or with each other, um, all in, in discipleship if we do faith just on a Sunday or once in the midweek. We can't put all of our spiritual focus just on them areas and neglect the rest of our lives. And I believe if we do, our churches and families will suffer because discipleship is broader. My view of discipleship is this, is praying in the car out loud on the school run when an ambulance flies by. And this creates windows to your children that your prayer life is active. It's asking a young person what it's like being a teenager today while you bake alongside them. It's sharing your testimony while you serve coffee on a Sunday morning. It's helping a 17-year-old change the oil in their car. It's sitting with new parents and praying with them because they have no idea what they're doing. And I want to thank people that helped me and um, Sam with that. You know who you are. It's speaking to your mom or nan who has Alzheimer's. It's speaking about Jesus in everyday life, as we heard in the key text, because you love them and love Jesus. It's family. That's what it takes. It's just normal life lived intentionally. And I want to say this, um, and this is really important, it takes all of us. It takes single people, married people, families, divorcees, widows, kidless, grandparents, godparents, because all of us are the body of Christ. All of us. So look at Paul, um, not Pastor Paul, but the Apostle Paul. Was he a father? No, but yes. But he wasn't. He, he wasn't a father, but he was a father, really. He was a father to Timothy. We see here 2 Timothy 1 at verse 2. To Timothy, my dear son. He was also a parent of the church in Thessalonians. It says, 
Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we care for you because we love you so much. We are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. What a beautiful verse. What a beautiful verse. Even though he had no biological children of his own, he was still a parent. He was still a grandparent. Hey, Jesus was single. We believe, some of the, I think it is believed that he was fatherless. He had no children of his own, but yet he knew the importance of investing in the, into generations and loving one another. It takes a whole family, and when I say family, all of us, the church, the blend culture, and to grow in the ways of Jesus. 1 John 13, 35 says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Um, in the summer, I went to a few weddings um, because a lot of them were cancelled because of COVID. Um, and we went to Craig Gaffney's wedding. Um, you guys may, may know him. He used to be a young person here. And uh, if we could have the next uh, uh, slide up, I think it's the next slide. Here we go. Um, we are on the Perudo table. Um, if you don't know what Perudo is, it's an amazing game. Go out and buy it. It's awesome. And um, here we are on the Perudo table. The, the wedding was amazing. So on that table, most of them guys I led in the, in the youth work. Uh, so they're like my first kind of cohort of young people. Um, some of them are married. They've all got like, jobs and doing some awesome things. But we're at this wedding, and it was such a really cool weddings, it's like family all over the place. And um, it was amazing to see that um, me and Sam were there with Willow, my daughter, and just to seeing them guys invest into my daughter. For hours and hours, they played with her, they blew bubbles, they, um, they danced, they played games, they drew and all that type of stuff for hours. It was amazing. I just like sat back and I was just like, I led these guys when they were in like year seven, and now they're doing exactly the same thing to my daughter. They're just loving on my daughter. Again, I went to uh, another wedding and um, we were there, and Carol and Dave Seeger were there, and we just walked around the uh, Natural Trust place. And there was a picture of Dave Seeger just crouched down next to my daughter, Willow, just looking at the flowers, smelling them. And I was like, that's amazing. That is absolutely incredible. And that's what, that's what multi-generational thing church is. It is loving each other and doing life together. And we started looking this, uh, this morning um, where we are and where society is is a bit of a mess and I generally think that the church is the only way out and as I was reading I came across this really cool thing in World War II obviously the Germans faced a unique challenge to try and rebuild Germany not only did the majority of the able-bodied men die but 7.5 million Germans were made homeless and the spirit of Germany came down with its bomb buildings. So who was going to rebuild Germany? Well, an unlikely community started to take shape. A large group of women known as the rubble women came up and took the mantelpiece 
and the whole generations of daughters, mothers, and grandmothers started to clear the mess and start to build the nation back together. Jesus is calling us to build our nation back together as a multi-generational church. I believe that this won't just happen. It will take intentionality. It will be messy. It will be slow and it, because it takes time to trust one another and it takes time to make time for people. And as um, John Mark Comer says um, in one of his books, he says, love, joy, and peace are at the heart of all that Jesus is trying to grow. Again, slow language then, grow in the soil of your life. But all, but our, and all three are incompatible with hurry. We need to make time for people. And I love this, and I, don't get me wrong, we need the mountaintop experience, we need the Sundays, we need the festivals, we need the weekends away and all that type of stuff. We need what I call the Damascus experiences, corporate worship, and thank you for the worship um, today, you know, just absolutely incredible, just being in church and just being able to worship and sing. So we need that, yes, it's core to, to discipleship, it's core to faith, but I think we need to practice the road to Emmaus more where we talk and walk with each other and Jesus in our daily lives. And daily lives are mundane. <laughs> we read in Luke 24, it says this. Now that same day, two men were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And they talked and discussed, with, uh, discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked along them, walked beside them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them what, what they were discussing together, where they walk along. In the beginning, the mo beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scripture concerning himself. Today, what I'm trying to say is, the point is Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less for us to live in the way of Jesus to help each other and help each other to do the same. How we do that is to start invite people in the things we're already doing, and then over time share intimacies, then persevere. I've had so many conversations, again, just in recent years that anxiety and depression is through the roof. People are lonely. But that's all of us. We are all feeling that. So we need to start inviting people what they're already doing, share intimacies, then persevere. And I'll finish with this amazing quote by John Wemsley. He said this, Light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come from miles around to watch you burn. I pray that this church and the church in the West and the church throughout the whole globe will be a church full of passion for Jesus and each other. And as we do that, let people come, around, come from miles around to watch us burn, but for them to be set alight themselves with the same passion. That's my prayer. That's this whole generations thing. It's doing life with each other loving each other, speaking into each other's lives, 
and being vulnerable. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for today. I thank you for the generations. I thank you for um, the people who have um, spoken to me, in, uh, into my life, young and old. And I just pray that us as a church will start to live in a multi-generational way, Lord. That we would love each other, we would do life together, and that Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings wouldn't be just the, the where we do faith and discipleship, Lord. That we would really equip each other, support each other in trials and celebrate in joyous times, Lord. I pray for your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would guide us how to do that. You are the God of the generations. In your glorious name I pray.